0: Pod. Pod. Right, how you doing? Yeah, uh, you in you in London? Yeah, yeah. Have we met before? No, you because I was just wondering <laughs> if you were some like super fan or something back in the day. Because <laughs> you know what? We we did a show uh, maybe this should be we talk about later, but I was I I was working with a band quite a while ago, maybe 2007. There was a guy called Rory who started to drum. And he told me that Pete did a show for Rock Against Racism in Trafalgar Square one time. And we after it, we jumped in a taxi and there was some young kid tracing, chasing us up Trafalgar Square, like chasing the taxi. And then Rory told me that was him. <laughs> right. so do you know what i mean like you know people get older and you know because i'm a very old guy now and um you know and then everyone, you know everybody's got their memories so uh, but yeah
1: no nah, yeah yeah i'm sure you have a lot of stories like that to be fair
0: but yeah well that was quite nice though because i remembered it very clearly when he said because there was one kid who wouldn't stop chasing the taxi was very persistent <laughs> you know, it was rory so i hope he's doing good i haven't seen him in a while but
1: um yeah cheers for doing this mate like uh yeah, like been speaking to people that were in and around kind of that scene and baby shambles and stuff. And I know you have an interesting story by the looks of it in terms of like setting up record labels and, and all that. Like how, what was the lead up into everything kind of thing? Of, of getting into the music. Thing. I think so, yeah. Like what, what was like That's a good your uh, route into it, yeah.
0: Well, I was just, you know, I, oh, I guess it's, I guess it's, um, I don't know, where do you start with that? um, Just... You know, I get. I guess that's. I mean, where well, you know, because I can think of various routes in, but I guess it would be my friend Robert, and then he would be coming to. Um, he sort of knew people from what was the Campbellwell scene, that was sort of. I guess that's where Pulp came out of, because Jarvis was down there, and then and then that became sort of the Shoreditch scene in the, in the mid '90s, and um. And so I, I, via Robert, I got to know, you know, hanging around in Shoreditch in, in, in sort of the yeah, mid to late, yeah to early, late 90s, mid to late 90s or whatever, and um, got to know a lot of people. And then there was lots of creative people. And um, I thought they made interest in music. I guess, I guess we have to rewind slightly because my introduction, I guess what the true introduction was, when I was at university studying furniture design, there was a, an album that uh, Mr. Bongos had discovered in India. It was by, it was a uh, it was um, Ananda Shankar and Friends. And it was that he'd found eight copies of it and no one had, and, and there was been a tape going about with two songs on it, Dancing Drums and Streets of Calcutta. And um, these were amazing sort of Indian, you know, sitar sitar tabla sort of, I guess, sort of psych psych sort of beat music, I guess. Yeah. And they because the Indian albums of the time that were made in the late 60s and early 70s had like a Western crossover track on them. Uh, you know, there's Rasta Carpitar. There was a few albums of the time that would have this. And anyway, there'd been this tape going about uh and it had these two songs on it. And then Mr. Bongos came back. He, the guy had been over there and he'd found eight copies and I think they were like seven hundred pounds each was, a, which was a lot of money in in the mid nineties. It's a lot of money now for a record, but it was hell of a lot of money then. And I took my student grant check with a, I won't name the guy, but with a, a friend of mine, and um, I bought, I used my student loan, and I bought one of these albums, and we we bootlegged a twelve inch, a white label, and we used to get this place. It doesn't matter who pressed them, I suppose, but. Um, and then it paid my way through college. Sell it, selling this white label of, uh, uh, of of these two tracks, and it, you know, because no one could get it on anything. I think it came out on um, maybe Blue Note did a reissue of it after that, or someone did a reissue, and it's, it's they're quite reissued. The album's been reissued now. I don't think it's worth as much money, but um, so I'd learned the process of um, of um, of making a vinyl record. So when I started hanging about and there was all these creative people and, I, 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 you know, I've, I was a record collector when I was a kid, you know, I've still got records I had when I was 12 and all that and um, and um, yeah, and then, you know, and it just seemed natural progression to then sort of combine the two things interest in records, this this knowledge of how to get records made and meeting people and to start a little record label which I did, High Society Records and we put out um, you know, and um, that's how I met Peter and Carl initially because uh, my friend Justin uh, hooked us up, uh, you know, he said, oh, these guys are great. And I do, have st- I do still have some recordings of these very strange versions of s- some of the songs from the first Libertines album that are done with a drum machine. And they're there's sort of these weird electronic versions. I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I still had it somewhere. Um, a CD with them on, and um, I'm sure I kept it, but they're very bizarre versions of, you know, maybe half of the first Libertines album that they had embryonic uh, versions of. So um, I guess, yeah, that was my route in, to, and then going, just being on the scene all the time and, you know, living, you know, buying records, going to see bands uh and and having a lot of creative people around i guess that was the root into doing that sort of stuff
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and like how i don't know how excited were you by what was going on did it feel did it feel a bit different to what had gone on before or was it like a point where you thought something's happening kind of thing
2: well i i guess i guess you know, it it was the time. It was a
0: transitional time, as I understand it, because you know it'd been a we'd had a long period of dance music in the UK. Uh, you know, I didn't really get into the whole Nirvana thing and all that. I was raving at the time, and it was like a big DJ-led sort of music thing. And then, obviously, then the Strokes came out. Uh, you know, and I guess there's the White Stripes, and you know, there's this little group of. Um, uh, American bands, and that's what Libertines came out of. I guess that sort of transitional time. But I was doing sort of just weird sorts. Of st- I mean, if if you know uh, the stuff we we were doing on on High Society Records was kind of quite odd. I suppose it was it was traditional sort of indie music. You know, there was guitar. You know, four piece sort of band stuff as well. But a lot of synthesizer and sort of just odd cover versions and. Just like, weird, yeah, weird stuff. I was really, I thought was, it was a great time for me. You know I mean, I, I don't know musically that it was very new, but it was all very new to me. Um, and it was exciting. And, you know, in retrospect, you know, if I'm honest, it was feeding, because I've I've always been very socially quite awkward. And to be a facilitator, uh, sort of just, um you know, you know, it's an ego thing. Like to be at a party and being involved and having to be a player rather than just a consumer was something that felt good. So I was having a good time, and you know, um, and actually contributing. I suppose that's a positive way of putting at it, sort of, sort of slightly more selfless view. But I don't, you know, um, that's not necessarily. Yeah, it was, it was good, and it was good. I mean, because it's funny, I, I, you know, I used to. I am really into the Sex Pistols and I've still got all my Sex Pistols singles to this day. I've, I've got pretty much, you know, I wouldn't say every release, but I've got all the UK Sex Pistols singles and they were mastered at a mastering house in town called Porky's. It was Porky's mastering studio. And they would, on, when you, on the run out groove, um, if you ever, I'm sure people know, who have got vinyl records, there's, there's some identifiers for the, for the, you know, for the, for the for the for the pressing but often there's also a little message in there and it would always say another porky's prime cut on um when i was a kid you know i was a kid in the countryside and i would you know i would always go to them and sometimes you'd have a little message from the band or something you know for you know and um they it was like it was like a it was like a you know a ten commandment it was like an etched stone you know like uh obelisk of something that I didn't know anything about. So to actually being involved in all that was really exciting for me, do you know what I mean? And I was, and I was enjoying the process and, uh, 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 and doing this stuff. It, yeah, it was good, it was good. I felt, I felt good and it, was, it gave a lot of meaning, you know, that time. I was, it was, yeah, in fact, I really got my teeth. So It was a great time for me. I mean, I was so broke. I'd put every penny into releasing my records. I remember I used to just eat apples and cheese on bread. And no seriously i but I love it. you know it was a great time, and I've got to say you know that was there was a lot more simple joy in that than you know that ultimately that I got out of working with Peter later. Do you know what I mean that turned into that made you know on that level things were a lot more complicated, and you know various other reasons it got more complicated but um uh there was a lot of joy in just finding an artist or a piece of music that I liked um somehow contacting them by right one way or another, talking to them, you know, somehow, you know, getting some kind of like connection going and then t- recording and then mastering and releasing the record and promoting it. That's just, you know, that really grassroots, simple sort of indie, indie music uh, publishing, I guess, in, in a, you know, production publishing, I mean, you know, Mechanical recording—I don't know what the, you know, <laughs> various terms you could put it. But yeah, it was, it was yeah, it was for me. So yeah, as as anything new, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I've always <clears throat> I've always loved um to hear some. You know, for I don't really hear the lyrics for the first couple of times when I hear a tune. I look for something sonically like novel to me. So that's that's what catches my ear first, and. You know, and I probably wasn't really a lyrics guy at all. Well, I won't say at all, but I, working with Peter because he was a lyricist, you know, that was a you know a good part of what he did. Now, that sort of did uh, turn me on more to lyrics. And, you know, to this day I'm discovering sort of records that I've had in my correction for years and then really getting into the lyrics of them. So, you know, actually connecting better with it. So, um yeah, I, I would just be, if I found something sonically I found unusual, then I'd want to put it on a record. And, and you know, and, and you're just meeting good people and, like, connecting. It's interesting, the idea, that if, you, if you're into the same stuff and, you, you know, you like the same music, you, you kind of like the same imagery, like the same films, then you kind of, generally, I've, I don't know if it's strictly true, but kind of get on as well. Do you know what I mean? And not just on the level of like collecting things but just as people I, you know i don't
1: know no you've yeah, had people that said that about you know finding bandmates it's like more finding people that are like-minded that, than like what they can do with a with an instrument kind of thing yeah that's how they get somewhere
2: mm. i guess
0: it's like you know buying records where you can't listen to them and you know just because i i've i've taken the gamble a few times and on quite a number of occasions if you like the artwork and then i don't you know and you know sort of i don't know what it's like these days but you know the artist would obviously select you know the musical artist would select the artist to do the cover or have some kind of input on it and so if you if you that's how you wanted your record covered then i'm probably going to like because i really love your choice of artwork then i'm going to really like your choice of music I've definitely had some misses over the years using that. (laughs) But I feel like it's slightly more reliable than they used to. My girlfriend used to work in Reckless Records, and there was a guy in there, he was a long-term customer, and he kept coming back, and he would lick records. That would be, seems to be his process of selecting them. He would ask, he would take the cover up, he'd ask for the record, he would lick it, and on that basis, whatever feedback he was getting that would be his decision-making process now wow. i never asked him if he liked what he bought but i kept coming back and you know carrying out the same uh like method to <laughs> in the <laughs> shop so i presume it was working for him so you know i use cover up some people lick some people just listen how about that it's <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a new one on me. Um, yeah,
0: well, yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. He probably shops online now, so I don't know how he how he <laughs> <laughs> It's harder to be, yeah,
2: it's harder. He's missing the record shops. <laughs> um, yes,
1: yeah, so how would, what was the main way of finding new bands and would you just be a, a lot of gigs and stuff? Or would you get sent a lot of tapes or anything?
0: Just word of mouth, really. Just like seeing I, I, I. When I did my little label, it was all sorts of scene stuff, you know, um, And Yeah, and just people I knew, really, yeah, and it was just a lot of fun, you know, and then then it just spreads spreads out from that. There was, yeah, I guess, and, you know, no one made any money, really, but, you know, Whitey did okay, the Towers of London had their moment, I mean, you know, Johnny Burrell, God love him, came out of that scene, Peter and Carl did great, um, you know, you know. Even what's the name? You know, there was a few people like you know, Richard Fearless was out there. Yeah, Andy Weatherall was about. There's lots of people. in Death in Vegas. There was um. God, I can't remember now. But, yeah, lots of people about. So, you know, on that scene. So um. Yeah, and just interesting. Just you know, there's so many great single songs out there. You know, and it doesn't have to be. If you like it, put it out that was sort of my philosophy. And I, you know, I sort of collect stuff for my house and um, if I want it on my, that's that's how I work. If I want to hang it on my wall and I want to look at it every day, then it's good. Do you know what I mean? You can't, if you enjoy it, you can't be wrong, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you spend a lot of money, maybe it's an error, but you know, in promotion or whatever, but yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. um,
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 It's interesting you mentioned that because in, in Pete Doherty's recent book, he said that's one of the things kind of excited him about working with you was the idea. I think you had an idea that you're going to release a single, one single a month or something.
2: Right. That's interesting because I haven't read Peter's book. I ah, didn't okay. it was out. Um, yeah, we, um, it's a long time ago now, you know. That kind of rings a bell. That kind
0: of rings a bell. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I remember. I remember us recording the Baby Shambles single, and I, you know, I remember getting the go ahead with Rough Trade to do that. Uh, and I remember putting out on the label. Yeah, I remember doing that. Yeah, we were, Yeah, we. T- I can't remember the plans. Do you know what I mean? It was. A, it was. A good, it was a good time. You know, because as I said, you know, I'd sort of demoed them, and obviously, and I and his manageress at the time, I think her name was Banny. Uh, uh, she signed them to a rough trade, which obviously was the right thing to do. And, you know, whatever happened, you know, went down with Pete and Carl is what it is. And then, um, yeah, and then we start, you know, we started working together. And it was kind of designed as his sort of, I think the idea was it was sort of a, a playaway distraction to give him some kind of outlet that hopefully would release the pressure within the band, I, I, you know, that was never actually like a said thing, but, um, I definitely think that's what it was. It it didn't make any sense otherwise, you know, I just guess there was so much,
2: uh, tension. Yeah. You know, you make me think of stuff I haven't thought about for a while, you know, do I get
0: controversial or do I just keep it, keep it, keep it as it, you know, but, um, um, yeah, and I guess that's what we, you know, we did, and we were doing a lot of touring. He'd break. There, there was a lot of stuff went down in that period. You know what I mean? And and uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of strange, yeah, interesting stuff. I because I've never read. I don't know. You know, I, I think Adam might have brought out of a book. Is that right? Alan Firecheck might have done something.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, not sure about that. No, I don't know.
0: I know at one point he was planning it, and I don't know how those right things. So I don't know what people know about sort of libertines baby shambles and peter that or don't so i don't care i don't know if everything i'm saying is
2: old i might say is old news but you know there's lots of interesting stories um yeah you know what i mean (laughs) but yeah i don't know i don't i don't know what the you know
0: the um What's the word? The etiquette is. You know what I mean? Like do you just say like do we really open and like drop because it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Let's just we
0: suffice on. to say, you know, it was interesting working with rough trade at the time. That's you know, that's a gentle way of
1: Oh well yeah, I mean, in the book he says that you had a bit of a an ongoing battle with them, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I didn't get on great with Jeff, must be said. Mr. Travis didn't get on great with him. Uh yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't find him particularly honest guy. I've got to say. Uh, yeah, I didn't get on great with Jeff, but you know, um, Jeanette was amazing. James Endercott's cool. I've forgotten the old Scottish guy's name, but yeah, on the whole, I got I I you know I had a lot of respect for all of them. And you know, you can't not respect Jeff Travis because he is. I mean, that's the that's the birth of UK indie, right? Rough Trade. I've still got. Rough trade number one to this day in Paris Macwiss, what Metal Urbane, I think, is rough trade number one, uh, seven inch, RTO01, I think. So, you know, and I've got a number of their very early singles. So um, you know what I mean? It's it's you know, great, great label. So uh, you know, can't get on with everyone, right? <laughs> <laughs> I am a little bit gutted that I didn't get my gold disc for um uh um that first baby Shambles album, but
1: Hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> might come one day, you never know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can make
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's that like? I mean, he describes you as, uh sorry, in the book, he describes you as like anti-music industry and he you liked your renegade tactics. But what was it like going up against someone like Rough Trade? Did you have to like really back yourself?
0: Well, it's interesting. That that's funny. You say, well, no, because. I was about the artist. You know, the music industry interest is interesting. There's an amazing book. Um, and it gave me some great insight into the, the modern music industry. I've forgotten the author's name, but it's 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 the pop music in 21st oh, I've got I've forgotten the night, It's it's an American book, and it's 20th century music industry. I, I, so I've still got it at home, but it ex it explains. The birth of um, recorded music, uh, and then sort of the business of music as it as it as the 20th century unfolded, and you know into the 1960s. I think it was written in the 80s, the book. And um, you know, the truth is, if you're a manager who signs an act to a major label, you do not represent your artist. That's as simple as that. You're playing a game, and you know, most bands don't, you know, if you want a career as a music manager, I don't know, maybe you want to be in the game 20 years, 25 years. Very few bands will last 20, 25 years. So you might have a hot property, but if it lasts five years and you're very loyal to your band and you piss off all the industry, then, you, they're, you know, that's not working. So you, it's, it's, you feed artists into the system. It all goes, happens as it happens. And then uh, then you have to feed the next artist in. So the reality is, you know, I put, you know, uh, and I put all my eggs in a basket and um, and my actions led to me probably losing the loyalty of that basket, which kind of left me quite high and dry, but that, that was my action. So, you know, I didn't, you know, I was given a great opportunity and it went well for a while and then it went a bit Pete Tom, but I would definitely say, yeah, Renegade. I was very, very, you know, very loyal. To, yeah, I fought for my artists against, and there was a lot of conflict around that. And I don't know, you know, I don't because I've not read Pete's thing. I don't, I don't know if he realizes, you know, how I was. I definitely was not playing both sides in that, <laughs> which is like I don't know. Would in retrospect would I've played it differently? I don't know, who knows. But, um, yeah, no, I was very loyal to Peter. And I was a, uh, very loyal to Peter at the time, no doubt about that. And, um, and uh, yeah, you know, he was a very special personality. Uh, you know, I haven't hung out with him for a long time, so I don't know who the guy is now. So, uh, but, yeah, he was very, a very charismatic
2: young man, no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. How old were you at that time in the early 2000s? I'm 10 years older than Peter. I was born in
0: 1969. So, okay. um, yeah, I guess we were working 2004, 2003, 2004. So I was 35 then, so I wasn't young.
1: Yeah, yeah. So kind of you knew, you knew what you liked at that point kind of thing.
2: If that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I suppose it's, you know, what do we say on this? You know,
0: it's more... Uh, you know, I I, I I was adopted as a kid, right? And I've never really ha- felt attached to anything. And then I joined the army, and then that's a very tight knit group. Uh, you know, you you have to bond together, and you're you're part of a team. And it's sort of I don't really know, you know, the mechanics of what engineered that, but I like the idea. You know, a little band of pirates. Do you know what I mean? And uh, as and that's our click. And you're in or you're out. And I'm you know. I, I, and I, you know, I fought one way or another for friends all my life. So if I'm loyal to you, I'm in with you. You know what I mean. And then it's us against them, and that's not necessarily a great way
2: to 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 run in life. It's probably not. It's not. Um, I don't know. It's not diplomatic. <laughs> so um,
0: I was going to say mature or professional, but I chose to say diplomatic. I don't know. Might be neither none of those three or or the other two might be irrelevant, but um yeah, it wasn't a diplomatic way to operate, but um it, it felt um sincere, yeah, no there's you know there's again, it's like you know i could use there's situations to illustrate, it, but it's you know it's all in the past, is it relevant but yeah i do, I would agree with that, you know i you know. I was I had I did an interview for the New York Times once, and this was going to go on my gravestone for a period of time. But maybe hopefully by the time I die, it'll be a little bit in the future. I'll have a new epitaph. But the the, the late it was it was quoted that the James Malord is the last true believer in popular music today, and I loved it. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that was a blessing or a curse to get that because it reinforced my worldview. Uh, And my worldview—that might be part of my worldview—but it reinforced other parts of my worldview that weren't probably so beneficial. But um but I did—I like the quote. I was very pleased to receive that quote. So yeah, if that if that illustrates that Peter wasn't the only person to see it like that, that's three of us: Peter, me, and whoever wrote that. (laughs) Maybe there's others. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe (laughs)
1: others. You mentioned. Bunny, just because I'm going to keep referencing the book. Sorry, I know you've not read it, but <laughs> that's
0: cool. Yeah, because at least it's all new, and it will be like I can't have um, planned any answers. So
1: yeah, <laughs> uh, but you said you had a a battle with Bunny for the soul of the Libertines. Does that make sense to you?
0: You know, there's, there's there's perspectives, isn't there? I mean, did I? It's interesting how they might have seen that. I don't. Yeah, I don't. No, I don't know. If I think, I think, I think she did the right thing. So if this is No, because I think she'd been, yeah, because, no, by the time, yeah, when she signed them to Rough Trade, I think that was the right thing to do. And I think she created, you know, whatever the, you know, the mechanism was to, because they hadn't really found a sound. You know, they had Pete and Carl, acoustic guitars, and um, a number of the songs that would later go on to be the first album. But they didn't have a sound. And I thought, you know, I thought they did a great job, uh that first album sounds great. you know what I mean? I don't actually have my copy anymore. I don't know what happened to it. um so that's a shame. I have to get it again but um but so i I don't know about that, and then by the time i by the time I got involved with Peter a couple of years later, two or three years later, um Alan McGee was
2: um working with them, so. But that's only perspective. I wasn't. I don't know how Banny saw it, and
0: um, and I don't really remember. You know, I do. I don't. You know, it's a long, it's a long time ago now. I, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You know, if I've. You know. Um, yeah. No, let's just. say I probably don't have the clearest memory of 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 everyone. You know, I don't know. But yeah, no. If Pete says that like, interesting, I'd like to talk to him. too. what. You know, I'd ask him if I. You know, hopefully one day we'll we can have a a cup of tea together and uh and you know have a chat about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And where then where does um white sport come into it? Is that Pat's first band? and Adams.
2: That's right. I mean I feel a little bit, you know, that's an interesting one. You know, I've
0: what to say about the white sport. White sport was uh Andrew, a guy called Andrew avely who's a very, you know, close friend, a very dear friend of mine to this day. And um, um yeah, it was it was Andrew. I think it was just the three of them. I think it might have been Andrew, Pat, and Adam, because Andrew sung, played guitar. Pat Pat did the bass, I think, for them. And then Adam did drums. Maybe, maybe Pat did guitar and George might. It's a long time. And George might, because George definitely played bass a bit.
2: Um but yeah, so and so. That's right, because what, what happened originally was, yeah, Patrick,
0: I can't remember exactly how it split, but Patrick would come and play with Peter, and then the white sport would support. And I think Pat used to do both shows. I think he used to play in both bands. And I, you know, because Pete was originally, he had... Um, I think it was Scarborough Steve was in Baby Shambles. And then there was a Welsh guy. There was, an, I mean, you know, I don't want to diss anybody, but it, let's just say it wasn't the most, um, uh, they didn't know. How would you put it?
1: It's living up to the name at that point, is it?
0: Yeah, it wasn't the greatest Like engine uh, of a band. And, you know, Pat's. You know, Pat. I think Pat is an amazing guitarist. Do you know what I mean? And um, and uh, you know, in a parallel universe, he, he, uh, you know, he could be one of the greats. You know, if things have been different. But um, and then, so I, you know, I sort of linked up with Peter, and we sort of swapped people out. Uh, Pat came in. You know, I don't know if you know Seb Roachford. You know, incredible drummer, uh, session drummer. He came and played. I got Seb in and he came and played on the Baby Shambles single that we recorded. Um, I think it might have just been, I think that would have been Pat, Pete and Seb would have been the players on that. I don't, I'll have to look at it and see who gets credited. But, um, and so he had a, he had, you know, they're a great musician. Seb is, not you know, Pat plays with Seb today and Seb's a hugely respected sort of session jazz guy. Do you know what I mean? And, and a, beautiful energy as well i mean it's god he'd come in the room full of us lunatics and he'd just bring it to a beautiful calmness i mean the guy just exudes just a nice level <laughs> you know i don't know if you know pat and obviously peter and i'm quite we're quite hectic and and seb could really i just come down to seb's level or up to seb's level depending on how you want to look at it but um and uh Yeah, I can't remember what you were asking, but yeah, that was, that was, and sort of assembled that around people. I don't think Seb wanted to be part of it. And then Gemma was, I've forgotten her dad's name, but he used to run a rehearsal studio uh, in Old Street somewhere. And so somehow Gemma and Pat used to work at the rehearsal
2: studio and he got to, she played drums. So Gemma came down and got involved and, you know, And you know, it took a while. It did. you know, it wasn't the band that the Libertines
0: were for sure, you know, like Gary and John that they're doing. Uh and it took a little while. I do remember when we used to we used to tour a lot in the Green Van. And I think I think it might have been the first proper tour we did. that I remember and it was, it was in, I think it was the Fez Club. I think it's in Leeds. Cause we'd go and everybody would be cheering, like shouting when people come on, they'd be shouting Libertines, Libertines. And I remember it that day, um, they started cheering for baby shambles. And it just it was a great moment, you know, for this sort of allegiance. And I that was the day the band came together and started playing, we'd gone on this tour. And you know, you know it was quite interesting because we'd gone away as like en- laughing stocks of the enemy. And, um, you know, you can't, you know, it's never going to work, load of fucking idiots. It's not necessarily wrong, but um, we did like a 30-odd date tour and were totally disconnected from any sort of media, didn't pay any attention, just went and did show to show to show. Came back and come and did a couple of nights at the Scala and... um, they were like the biggest like UK band. It was absolutely, it was a great feeling. I've got to say it was great. And it, like, and it wasn't just other people's opinions that night in the Fez club, but it, like it knew it had come together and they, you know, I'm not saying it's like, you know, it's not soft machine or, you know what I mean? Or King Crimson or like any of these sort of really tight bands or maybe even Oasis in that sense, but like they came together as a unit and people like started accepting them and, um, and, uh, yeah, it was it was good, yeah. And, then, and like, so he had a band, you know, and I felt like I was doing a good job at the time. You know what I mean? It felt like I was doing a good job. Whether I was or not, I don't know, but it certainly felt like it.
1: <laughs> like I said, like, Pete kind of mentioned that he played in you know, a pivotal role of, like, getting him out of... It sounds like a situation with the Libertines. He wanted something else. He he didn't like the direction it was going in, but there's was, like, a really specific detail about you sending him... So he calls it a beautiful poetic text to like, that made him want to make that leap and really go for baby shambles. I'm not sure if you remember that, but.
0: No, but as I said, you know, we were very close back then. I don't remember, I remember, don't remember the text, but I do, there's various times I remember that were really, you know, very
2: emotional and I felt very close to Peter, you know, and, uh, you know, I distinctly remember one time,
0: You know, he said I'd saved his life, you know, by just sort of, you know, helping him, you know, by re-putting together something, you know, because he was washed up. He was, uh, you know, uh, using a lot of drugs, you know, ultimately as we all were. So, you know, junkie. I'm a junkie. Pete was a junkie. I don't know what he's doing these days. Um, I was on my way to becoming a junkie. I don't know if I was at the time. And, yeah, he was like, he'd messed everything up. A great, you know, on the cusp of a great opportunity, and uh, you know, as they were just sort of, you know, I mean, obviously, the first album was good, but it was growing, and um, yeah, I remember it was in his place over in um, I guess behind Whitechapel, behind the Sainsbury's, there, isn't it? It Yeah, some silly little, like, little flat in an estate there that Alan had paid for, and um, yeah, in there, and you know, he said, Thanks for saving my life. Yeah, we were close, man, it was some. It was good. So yeah, I can't remember the text, but it was very, very, very special times, do you know what I mean? Very very special times, you know. And uh but yeah, I don't know. Do you know what the text says? Does he <laughs> say that in his book?
1: Um no, I think I don't think he goes into that detail. But I think it's just more around you would just solely focus on the music as you've mentioned, whereas everyone else well, a lot of people on libertines were concerned about, you know, his habits, you, as you've mentioned, but you were more, you saw it as like a bigger picture than that. You just wanted to get the music out of there, I think.
2: Yeah, because,
0: you know, I was, I, I suppose, you know, I guess my naivety was an asset at that point because I didn't really understand, you know, the pressures. The, the, you know, the, the, the financial, I suppose, pressures of it. And for me, it was just, I believed in Peter a lot. You know, he could write, for me at the time, and I, he could write a top 10 song in 10 minutes, any time of the day or night. If he said, you know, very, he was on fire back then. And I, I remember thinking at one time that if he just sat me down and said, James, I want to be prime minister, I would have started working on it. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. This is a thought from back then. I thought to myself, "You, do, I believed in the guy that much, and we felt so powerful, and uh, you know, and uh, it felt, you know, it probably sounds like quite lunacy, but um, yeah. So I was a great believer in the guy. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, and I was just, I was, I was backing it. my like all the eggs in the basket. Yeah, no, I was backing Peter Doherty, and
2: yeah i guess maybe i yeah i guess i was packing back and peter doherty so um uh
0: yeah it was about what he did yeah yeah, yeah it was, it
1: was yeah. and you mentioned the touring and uh you, know, you said the story earlier about the uh the fan chasing and the taxi <laughs> mm-hmm. just like kind of what was happening at the time you kind of just got on with it or was it a bit like wow this is a bit mental <laughs> what well, the touring yeah and just all like the uh tension that was that was on pete at that time
0: Well, because he got a lot bigger than that, you know. I guess Pete got to his, you know, got bigger when he was dating Kate. I, I wasn't necessarily following it, but I presume that was as big as he got in a tabloid sense. But um, or, or, you know, mass appeal. But um, back in the early touring, we would. I worked for a company called. By then, I was doing PPQ Records, but they were a clothing company, PPQ, and they had a green Mercedes van and then i think every weekend we would borrow it uh, i presume it was the weekend because they would use it during the week to pick up fabric deliver or whatever they do and because uh, yeah we were in their basement and um and then we borrow this van at the weekend and we would fill it up with people you know the band and then a couple of people want to come and then we would drive to some place up north i can't remember you do gigs and it was it was very exciting. Do you know what I mean? And you know, I, I, when we met Matt Bates, somehow he got in touch and wanted us to come up and do a gig. He, he was a, I don't know if you know who Matt Bates is. That he was a, he was their tour manager, and he went on to be, you know, a very. I haven't spoken to Fades, but he was very successful. Uh, in the two thousand tens, I'm sure he's done very well for himself. He's a great businessman. Um, um. And then he wanted us to do a show up in Stoke. He had a little club called The Underground, I think it was, up in Stoke. This is early on because Pete had the bouncers then that Rough Trade had provided because they'd been recording him and the Ribbertines had been recording. And I think Pete and Carl kept on getting physical altercations. And we had this big sort of like guy, like a proper bouncer who would travel everywhere, I think. Yeah, this was prior to that. So yeah, and this guy, and he was in Stoke for this. So he, it was early on, and um, and a car turned up. It was quite funny. So there are copies of. I remember. I wish I had one. There was, we were giving out CDs of of the Baby Shambles single. And there's copies of that that both Pete and Carl have signed going about that people have got, which are a quite cool thing to have. But, yeah, the Stoke Club got wrecked that night. I can't remember why it kicked. It just used to be right because I remember, in, you know, in the early Libertines days, like, you'd go, they'd go and play that place down in um, sort of Whitechapel. I've forgotten what that place was called, but the energy in there was absolutely amazing, you know, considering this at the time was quite an under – because it was the early days of – chat rooms I think and they had so I, as far, in my experience they were like the first people to have this sort of dynamic sort of chat following and have very passionate fans and you'd go to their gigs and there'd be a, a really great energy in there do you know what I mean and they'd come on it was highly charged stuff it was great and um, I've, there's not many gigs I've been to that with that energy to this day do you know what I mean um, you know I've been to some great gigs by big bands uh, but you know, I don't know really. I don't think like the like the anticipation of a of a band work walking on stage, other than Michael Jackson in 1985, <laughs> which was the greatest moment in my life. No, 1988 was the greatest moment in my life at the time. But I don't think, yeah, the anticipation of someone coming to perform on stage. I don't think I've seen it. And obviously, Michael Jackson's, you know, is that's different, different cat of fish. But um, yeah, so you know the, you know, right? We had so we had, we got banned from Shrewsbury because I think it might have been because of the Stoke riot. The Historia got smashed up that time when he didn't turn up. I mean, yeah, like the fans, it was great. We went to some great gigs, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, the Lemon Tree in in Aberdeen got smashed up, and a lot of people got arrested. Yeah, there was it was um. It was um, it was mad it was it was mad it was great and the, you know the the further you went up north the more excitable because we're all spoilt down here and if you can you know not yeah mostly north I mean we did go out to Froom but as you got because bands don't go up to Dundee and they don't go up to Aberdeen I don't think they kind of stop at maybe Glasgow and possibly Edinburgh so when you got there those Scots are excited. <laughs> 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 and, you know, as you go to the country, like, further away from sort of London and Birmingham and, you know, and obviously fans play Manchester and all that, but, um, yeah, some great, great, it could, you couldn't have more, you know, it was, it was a big come down, Like it took me years to come down off that, so exciting uh, to, you know, just wake up in a new city, do it, and then put on another amazing show. You know, I don't know if you've seen the Max Carlish thing and there's like, it's kicking off there, you know, it was right, it was a lot of fun. It's exciting. I love all that aggro, It's great, you know. <laughs> Telford kicked off there, kicked off all over the place. Great, in a good way, all good natured. Do you know what I mean? But it was, it was crazy. It was good. It was mad times. And then driving back, you know. And then, and then we did the four gigs on New Year's Eve. That I don't know if you know that one. We did. We booked four shows in, in on New Year's Eve, maybe two thousand five. And the enemy said it's impossible. <laughs> we, got it, we got it done <laughs> we got it done I rented some Mercedes I've never rented a car it's the fastest car I've ever driven I was doing 150 on the M1 in that car um, wow. uh, and um, yeah and we, we we just Pete doing acoustic shows and we did I don't know what it was Birmingham Stoke I don't know Manchester so we did got the four shows done and starting at maybe 8:39 in the evening and the last show was at One o'clock in the morning, but we got round. We had to pay. We turned up late somewhere and he only had 15 minutes to go. So I paid the guy a grand to give us 10 more minutes or something. (laughs) And, uh, you know what I mean? To get, get, make sure everybody got a little bit of a show. Um, uh, but yeah, pulled it off. It was exciting. That's exciting. Hammering rounds. Let's be real. Hi. Uh, uh, you know, um, pulling stuff like that off it's a lot of fun with someone to have a huge amount of respect for And you know it was, it was it was a good very 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 interesting character
1: yeah know. do you have like what were your, your ambitions at the time was it just kind of i don't know just seeing where it took you kind of thing
2: yeah i mean i guess i've never been a five-year plan kind of guy so um Um I've never had a role model, you know. And
0: then and then I really got into Andrew Lou Goldham. You know who that is?
1: Head the name, yeah.
0: Yeah, he's the Stones uh original Stones oh, okay, guy. Right. And um he's an interesting cat. And I went, I've been to a I saw Jeff Travis there, funny enough, and we kind of knew each other. He, he did a talk in South by Southwest in in Austin one time to Andrew Lou Goldham, it was great, and um
2: And he was sort of my first ever role model at 30 years old. And um, so I didn't really have ambitions. I'm more of a sort of of just wing it kind
0: of guy. But it's funny because Andrew Le said two things that really stuck with me. He said, um, and this is a beautiful quote, and it doesn't really apply now, because we're in different times, I guess, with with you know the rise of sort of urban type like music, hip hop and that. But he said, the day you order room service, your creative career is over, <laughs> which you know is ultimately saying you're not singing about what people can relate to. Obviously, we, we have the whole genre of aspirational music now, so it it's doesn't really work anymore, but I don't think music pop music was aspirational so much back in the day and that material way. But the other thing he says, uh, the other thing he said, and I've quoted that to a lot of people and uh, and because uh, I loved it so much. But the other thing he said was the day the management are taking more drugs than the band, you've got a problem. But I didn't, I learned, I heard it, but I didn't, I didn't internalize what that meant. It's like I could quote that whilst getting high and really not engaged with what he's saying there. And, you know, it was, a, it, was um, it was, it was, it was, it was, a, yeah, it
2: was, it wasn't the most insightful sort of uh, rendition of a quote. <laughs> I
0: guess that's where I put it. But yeah, I don't get, yeah, sorry, I don't know what you asked, but yeah. That's, that's what I said. But yeah, no, you, what were you saying? You were saying my plan. No, it was just going with it. And you know what? I thought if I was with Pete and I fought for Peter and um and I promoted him to my to the best of my ability and had his interest in heart, like I said, we could go anywhere. That's where I was. That was my plan. So, you know, like I said, Prime Minister, you know, in retrospect. I mean, now we've had Boris Johnson, anything goes, right? But <laughs> like, at the time, maybe his you know his history wouldn't have allowed him, but maybe now you get past but um but um yeah that that was the plan just going with it because it was things were opening up, you know, I'd been doing my little label just on the scene, and things were opening up and you know it's a theme in my life that I've had great opportunities by just you know by just doing you know just doing what I do and and it takes me so far, unfettered being myself. I've realized there's a limit. It's sort of like a ceiling to that, but um, which I'm working on in my now, in my 50s. <laughs> but you know, but um, yeah, that was the plan. Yeah, just 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 trying, you know, just um just um just promote, you know, it's promote the cult of Pete. I don't know, that's kind of like a we're putting it but i don't know if i necessarily cult but um i guess cultish yeah i guess cultish because i have thought of him uh in terms of alistair crowley at times uh you know a powerful personality that can lead people beyond their own instinctive boundaries and when people are led beyond their own instinctive boundaries they find themselves Uh, in a a situation that causes them distress. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's fair to say about people are drawn to charisma don't know when to let go of the mane of that that powerful, evocative horse that's riding them off somewhere and then get dropped off in a desert. um, (laughs) Dehydrate, you know what I mean?
1: No, it's it's an interesting way of putting it, it, yeah.
0: You know, and and I think that's happened to a number of people around him, do you know what I mean? uh, You know, Obviously, I don't know his recent times, but um, back in the day, yeah, you know, and it's right. So in that sense, cult, you know, cult, yeah, a a cult cult of personality.
1: Mm -hmm. And like what was, it's a bit of a general question, but what were the biggest challenges in making sure things were going to happen at the time, like making sure tours and, and gigs were going to happen?
2: Well, you see, that's interesting as well because, you know, if you wrote a book on how to how
0: to grow yourself in any prof- profession, that there you know we could all come up with turn up on time, you know, be polite, uh, you know, this socially sort of like there's a social contract we all enter into and we believe that, you know, as I understand it, and I I, I was very tempted to try and like get Pete to operate within the contract that we all you know, generally works for everyone. But the thing with Pete was whatever he did seemed to get better for him. So it's very hard to tell someone to adhere to my rules or what I believe the social, you know, dynamic was when, you know, he could do what the hell he wanted and he got better.
2: <laughs> so and things went first. So,
0: you know, and then especially, you know, it was tough because, when you're in that situation there's a lot of people around the eyes who don't really have their best whether you know did i have his best interests in art i like to think so people you know in the twisted world where i was encouraging to take not encouraging but definitely not trying to dissuade him properly from taking class a drugs it was an environment where that was all part of it um so you know, his mum might say that's definitely not having his best interests in heart, and I wouldn't argue with her if if she made that argument. But, but on a daily basis, putting that aside, um, uh, I feel like I, I was I was closer to being aligned with what his best interests were, in, you know, naively. But um, um and so when there, everybody's telling him,
2: uh, you know, blowing smoke up someone's ass. It's hard to make him turn up, you know. You know, he got bigger and bigger. You know, we had a, what was it? It's like supporting Oasis in Southampton.
0: I flew to Paris to drag him out of bed and he wouldn't get out of damn bed. And we didn't, like, I booked a private plane to get that guy back there on time. He wouldn't get out of bed. And um,
2: did it damage his career? Ultimately, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But, it, it, you know,
0: it was part of his character, wasn't it? So I don't know. Some people shine different, right? And um, and the guy's who he is, and that's this. Uh, and it's, you know, for better or for worse, that's that's, that's the path the guy's trodden. That's cool, man.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do
2: you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, Pat and Adam talked about that his thing, saying they, I think they were stuck on the bus or something. Well, yeah, I didn't know that you actually went to Paris to try and get him. That's mad.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I couldn't help but think Kate wasn't on board with his career so much at the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, she was not a girlfriend kicking him out of bed saying, go oh, on, you need to go to work. Definitely not. There was a weird dynamic.
2: But um, yeah, it was strange. Uh, but um, yeah, the band had to be patient. And um, it was interesting because... You know, for all Peter's great qualities, um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Star Wars in the modern
0: era, but I used to be a massive fan of Star Wars in the initial era. And if I was to make a Star Wars analogy, I would say he he chose the dark side of the
2: Force, you know. Um, You know you had to put up with some bullshit to be around Peter, and he didn't really respect people that put up with his
0: bullshit. Uh, So it was a very strange, uh, you know, at one point, and I strangely now think I have lived that to some extent, but I would used to say of him that it's almost like he surrounded himself with people he didn't truly respect, and I'm not labeling any particular person, but as a broad stroke, but Peter surrounded himself with a load of characters who who were just there to hang off him. And therefore you could expect no loyalty from. So you could not be let down by them. And whether that's purely what it was, but I've definitely, you know, since then I've I've definitely done similar things. And I, like you know, it's it's yeah, I, and I do think that you know what I mean. You get you get you get you can't expect you know that I'm surrounded by people who don't will not give me loyalty. Therefore, I cannot be hurt. And you know what I mean. I, I definitely think that's something you know Peter Peter did. So um, but you know whether he would a, a, acknowledge that I don't know. So um,
2: but yeah, you know one illustration was he'd had um he'd had an implant um naloxone implant i think it or naltraxone implant um
0: you know and they put this thing and it slowly dissolves and you can't take opiates and um he had all these cronies around him and i you know some people might say i'm a crony that's fair enough and i turned he was at Jill's, and i turned up there and i'd heard that it had got infected and so i went around there one night and these lot are all sitting around laughing as he's squeezing like these huge amounts of pus and stuff out of this thing. And, you know, it's it's a it's an incision, a surgical incision in your sort of abdomen, I guess, roughly where, you know, like appendix might be. I mean, it looked disgusting. And they're all just sitting around laughing. I was like, well, why haven't any of you called me? And I was I'm just fucking bulky, idiots. Anyway, so I, you know, I got a doctor around and sorted and it out. So you know what I mean? So I don't know, man. You know what I mean? you're rotting in front of their very eyes and they don't give a shit as long as you're buying stuff. Do you know what I mean? So, but as I say, strangely, I, at the some, some time I followed that same path, not quite as, um, not quite as, you know, as clearly illustrated as that moment, but um, broadly speaking, yeah. But yeah, so I don't know, yeah, nice. No, um, again, I, I have no idea what I was answering. <laughs> <laughs> did it answer anything
1: definitely interesting um but yeah uh, another point was like i think he said that there wasn't loads of money kicking about at one point and that you would come up with like different ideas like you mentioned max college documentary and i think celebrity big brother was on the cards at one point yes that, it was yeah, that sure, yeah.
0: yeah yeah celebrity big brother no that was that was quite interesting because yeah, I think they offered 150 grand. Because, yeah, I, I can't remember the order of things. It might have, was it, I don't know, if you know it was before, either before or after. I think it was after he got released from jail after the um, the stuff with Carl. And we had to put up that sorority. I can't remember anyway, but there was, yeah, 150 grand. And I knew a, I knew a sort of summary, and my plan was, because the agreement was he didn't have to stay in there any period of time. He just had to go in and there was no, like, you know, there's no, like you have to be there a week because or two weeks or whatever. So the, my plan was that he we were going to get a prosthetic mask made of Carl and he, <laughs> lunatic, and he would go in, you know, Peter Doherty and then he goes in and pretends to be Carl for as long as he can be bothered and then just walk out again and pick up the 150 grand. <laughs> which, that was the plan, but then he decided he didn't want to do it. So, um, but you know, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, enough. so it would have been an interesting, it would have been, it would have been unusual. Would it have been interesting? Who knows? But Pete's quite a good actor and I'm, you know, him and Carl know each other very well. So I'm sure he could have, he could have impersonated Carl really well, which might have been quite funny. <laughs>
1: no, I think you said something like there's an idea that you would have 15 minutes Three times a day, off camera as well, that he proposed to Channel Four or something. Don't about I don't yep. know that. <laughs>
2: but maybe,
0: maybe, maybe it's yeah. You know, yeah. You know, who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah who, who knows? Yeah. There was lots of there was like you know
2: there was there was the what's his name the Italian guy, um, Jeff Roselli, and he he. Pete had sold him some rights to something. I don't know what it
0: was. Maybe it was something to do with the film that Roger... Because I've never seen it. I, was there a film by Roger Pomfrey ever completed?
1: Yeah, the Who the who the Fuck is Doc, Pete Dockett. Really? Oh, I,
0: yeah. I've never seen it. You see, I think it might have been linked to that. Greg
2: Rosellian. It was quite funny because there was a bit of beef about that. And anyway, I think the band were at the the three... Three
0: something, Three Valleys, Three peaks. Studio in Monmouth at the time. So it's up in the Brecon Beacons or the Black Mountains up in Wales. And I went up there with this guy, Greg, and we'd I would had a bit of beef and we sorted it out and then he had to go and get Peter to sign this thing. And um, anyway, we park up on a mountain. I just remember it being really dark and it was I don't know if you've been in Wales it rains a lot in Wales right and it's like at night it's raining and we, he some reason he pulls up and we just start talking this guy and he's, he's explaining to me that that he's you know I kind of knew he was like Italian American guy you can see where this is going to go comes from Chicago and now his grandmother was the or his great grandmother was the only female in Capone's inner circle and his brother who is a dentist I don't know if you've ever seen Casino and I don't know if this is bullshit I never checked it out but he did have a Roselli, he showed me that he did end up showing me the book about Capone and there was a female called Roselli who was his only in, in his inner circle so in um, his inner circle so and he was, and we were sitting on this mountain I just had it like, we'd had like a, quite a powerful disagreement about this money that he was giving Pete because I thought he'd been really sneaky about it. And um, and um, and he's telling me that there's a scene in the casino where two guys get clubbed to death in a cornfield. It's a long time since I've seen it. And they're like, they're supposed to be two gangsters, but apparently the two gangsters ran off and, like, were smart. And these were two, like, you know, people. I won't use the word irrelevant because that's really cruel because they're human beings, but... Other people, and his brother faked the dental. Anyway, the point of the story is that I'm sitting there, listening to all this, and I'm thinking, "We're parked up a mountainside. We've been in. You know, you've suddenly become a lot more easygoing about this situation." And I'm sitting in a mountainside. whales in your tumblers? And I thought, "Yeah, this ain't this ain't good situation." <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out Greg turned out to be a good guy. Well. Good guy, yeah. I don't have any problem. He did get the UK rights to bum fights, so don't know if that makes him a good guy or not. I uh, don't know if you remember bum fights. You might no, I too think gay. so. Yeah, yeah. anybody who's promoting bum fights. Don't know if they can necessarily be called a good guy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, great, great, yeah, that was cool. And um, but yeah, I think it might but there was lots of
2: there was lots of little opportunities. And it wasn't that there wasn't a lot of money about. It's just how quickly it can get spent. Do you know what I mean? Because
0: yeah. like, once I started working with Peter, I was earning more money than I ever earned in my life. Let's make that very clear. Do you know what I mean? Even in the early days, you know, when we were green in it, we would do a show and, you know, because there was four in the band and me and, we, and 20% of the managers, so we'd split it five ways. And I'd get 800 quid for a night's work. That was a lot of money, even in the very earliest of days. So, you know, do a show at Brixton Academy. Everyone put 20 grand in their pocket. You know, so let's not say there wasn't a lot of money about. It was just getting spent very quickly. So Pete was picking up, you know, it's relative, isn't it? So, yeah, it was I a mean, hell of a lot of money and spending every penny of it very quickly. And um, So Pete was picking up money in little little things, or you know did something with Guillaume Goy up in Manchester, which were a bunch of colorful characters, uh, you know, um, all sorts of things. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't... There wasn't a mo- lot of money left. It's <laughs> <is> a better <laughs> way of putting it. It wasn't a good jug of money being yeah. <laughs> Um,
1: And you mentioned Mike's college. Like, how would you reflect on all that kind of thing?
0: That's quite funny, because I seem to be the slight fall guy for that, and that's fair enough. But he was introduced to me by a guy called Nathan. I've forgotten Nathan's surname, but he was the Happy Mondays manager at one point. Nathan, I've forgotten his name now. So he had some legitimate sort of credentials. And Sean McCuskey, who I used to be in a little label with, he used to do one, two, three, four with me, and, um, and Percy. And, um, and he was int- Nathan McGough. And he'd been Happy Monday's manager. So he had a track record and he introduced Max as an old friend of his. And um, so that's how Max got through the door. And then, you know, it's like, then you have this some weird, weird mission creep or something. And then he just turns into a complete like clingy lunatic. But he was, he was just another character on a
2: cast of characters. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, uh, and ultimately, right. I'm actually glad Max made his film. Do you know what I mean? And he was, yeah, it, yeah. It wasn't
0: the most managed experience, but you know, there's some, there's some, there's some gem moments that he's got. And I bet, he, I bet, if he got all Max's rushes, um, there would be some more gems on there. Do you know what I mean? I don't, know, I don't know what's happened to the guy, but. Um, I've still, I've still got an African birthing stool.
1: He gave me, all right? <laughs>
0: so I do think of Max from time to time. It's in my kitchen, sort of where you stick stuff like the mop bucket and all that, and the Hoover. But um, there's a, there's a birthing. He told me it was a birthing stool. It might just be a three-legged little stool with beads. In it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I do think of Max. Bless him. And you know, and there was all that exciting stuff with the swords and. The assault and the rookery and all that. So, you know, he's he's another, you know, he was a definite character. And ultimately, you know, let's be fair, you know, Max wasn't Max was a loving guy, right? And he was treated more cruelly than he ever treated anybody else. You know, he was treated quite nastily a lot of times, and it was his resilience to being treated like a complete mug that allowed him to get that footage because he would be, you know, he'd turn up, in, he'd be invited to Wolverhampton, he'd turn up there, and then he'd just get abused and told to fuck off by whoever. And um, and he would take it and he'd turn up the next day. And in a lot of ways, that's dedication. So madness meets madness, you know. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: No, But, you know, respect to him. And that's some good moments, you know what I mean? I mean i mean stalking
2: pete
1: doherty i mean it's, it pete doherty. It's yeah we did um do like a series on patreon like did we did like a deep dive into the documentary it's quite it quite good going through it
2: all oh, right
0: yeah yeah i have to see it again I just, <laughs>
1: yeah i have to see it again oh, I, did, I did i did actually put it on youtube but i got a i think mike's got it taken down so i don't know if he's
0: oh it he copyright struck
1: it yeah and then i got an email saying This Max Carlish has claimed this. You need to take it down. I was like, fair enough.
0: (laughs) That's a little bit grabby, Max. (laughs) You know what I mean? Let's face it. That's a little bit grabby. If I ever see him, I'll give him his damn birth and stuff back. I don't want to have a grabby man.
1: (laughs) Um, But was he someone that was promising money at the end of it? Was that the idea, or not really?
0: I don't think it was a money thing. No, it was the idea of... I'd been into a guy called, I think it was Bob Gruen. And he was a guy who would hang around the early punk scene in New York. And there'd just been a film come out of his that I saw somewhere down on the South Bank. And it was great footage of the New York Dolls and Blondie, uh, all these sort of characters. And it's some amazing, like you know, like just loose backstage, just natural footage. And I was really into it at the time. And then I think just about then he came and um, turned up and I thought, wow, you know, let's, let's we're going down this route. And I just was like, you know, it's great to see, you know, just getting, because you've got to remember now it's slightly different. Um, there wasn't a cam phones cameras, you know, then it was just before that, obviously we had mobile phones but they weren't the powerful sort of multimedia tools that they are today. So, you know, there was a lot less. Nowadays, every moment of, you know, of, of most people's lives, you know, gets caught or any publicly consumed. You're not going to be backstage now, I'm sure, without someone filming. But back then, it wasn't like that. So, you know, to get all that footage, because it can be lost, you know, and then you get, because you get, it's, you see all these moments that are so beautiful get lost in time and it's great you know when you see you know funny enough we're talking about a label there someone posted justin posted uh for, of the of the one two three four offices there was um he was a character around there he was a fit so he came in he and i don't even remember him coming in with cameras but he must have had like um a mini dv kind of camera which was a you know it's a tape the size of a packet of, well not quite the size of a pack of cigarettes uh but um and um, and he, he had all this footage of our office, and it, it was amazing. It was so moving to see it. Everybody looks young, and it just looked like if you were looking at, uh, you know, fact footage from factory records back from, you know, a decade earlier, and it looked so good, and it's like a hustle, and everybody's in it. He's got this track that he put out uh, or that he made at the time. I don't remember it. It was like, um, I had a very, very strange dream last night was the sort of, Tagline and then all these people, you know, Mick Whitnell was in it, Dave was in it, who worked there, Lily was in it, uh, Sean's in it, Al- uh, Alan Woss, God rest his soul, it was in it. Great set, I'm in it. Um, yeah, Percy's, you know, all the characters back then. It's just the Office, and it was amazing seeing that I just didn't know it existed, and it was so amazing to see. And you know, it it was, you know, it was they were good times, and you know, and long answer. But Max was just part of that. And, you know, now we take it all for granted. But back then it wasn't. And, um, you know, Anne McCloy, who used to do the merch, she used to be a camera I bet she's got some amazing footage. And the footage I really want to see is
2: there was a character who used to hang about. Oh, what's his damn name? Ronnie. I don't remember what his surname is, but... He used to film us
0: live and I remember seeing something and he's really, I thought his rushes were amazing and I don't think anybody's ever seen them. And I went to see him once about it and I don't, I was still kind of not thinking straight and I don't know what's happened to Ronnie, but he's got a ton of footage of, of Baby Shambles live and it's like, He was a good cameraman. He used to get great footage. So all Ronnie's stuff is out there. Uh, And Anne McCloy got, he got, yeah, I don't know. I've never looked through all his footage, so I don't know what he's got. But Anne used to do the tour bus. There'll be some great stuff there. And, you know, and I guess, and I guess it was, you know, in a lot of ways, you see, that's the thing. Someone prepared to turn up with a camera and film everything was, was they were doing a service back then. Do you know what I mean? So it's you know, yeah, so, oh, great. Someone and, and in the context of me seeing this Bob Green and wanting that, then, oh, this guy's up for filming. So it seemed like a good idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was what it was.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you
0: know what I mean? Long answer, sorry.
1: That's <laughs> sorry. You see, it's funny because I think I was speaking to Gemma not long ago and she said she used to, like, either her or her, someone in the family used to take a lot of footage as well, and she's got, she's got that sat at home. So that would be cool to see at one, at one point as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gemma had some greats. I didn't really know Gemma was uh, involved Bot- in Tame Fudge, but I'm sure I'm sure she's got some good stuff. Yeah, she'd had some access. But, yeah, it was, yeah, stra- yeah. You know, just thinking about, you know, we'd used to get people, like, we'd be driving down the road after a gig and then, like, someone would emerge from somewhere, like they'd be hiding in a bunk, some young girl or something, who, you know, then wouldn't get off the tour bus. And, uh, you know, and they'd be halfway down the motorway or... You know what I mean? It's fair enough. Why would you even want to be there? You know, like, if you're getting on with someone, right? Fair enough. Come for a ride, you know, and we'll work it out. We used to have to, like, pull in the services, like give them a 100 quid, call a taxi and say, could you take them home? It's like, why do you want to be here? You're not talking to anybody. Like, no, no, I, I Believe me, I'm socially awkward. So I'm not hating on anybody who doesn't talk to anybody, but you're putting yourself through hell, darling, <laughs> for no reason so you know just weird stuff and i remember one time there was some kidnap stories just loads of mental it was like mad stuff tons of mad stories man it was a lot of fun
1: thanks for listening to this episode of 22 grand pod if naughty's guitar music is your thing then you might enjoy our patreon page where for three pound a month you will get access to the following series the Naughty's Deep Dive where we go through the likes of the Stalking Pete Doherty documentary in painful detail. My favourite 2000s album, where patrons and other guests come on to talk about their favourite album of the era. Legend Landfill, in which we go through enemies' top 10 albums of each year from 2001 and see if we think they are indeed legendary or for the landfill. Unsigned Stories where we chat to bands that didn't quite make it in terms of signing that elusive record deal. We also have fan stories where I talk to people about their memories and opinions on all things Naughty's Indie. You also get early access to to any main podcast episodes and it's also worth checking out the youtube page where you can see extended video versions of the interviews as well as plenty of other bits of commentary and opinion all links are in the description now back to the pod what about you set, you set up a deal with the son to pay to actually pay pete's bail at one point is that true
0: that's right we did um that's right i think I don't know if they did. Did they do come up with twenty-five grand? There was definitely a deal, and he had to leave prison. That's right. We got picked up. I can't remember exactly the details, but I was with the guy from the newspaper, and we picked him up at. They brought him out the side door of Pentonville. and it was funny. And we were parked across the road because we didn't want any. Um, they he obviously they wanted absolute exclusive, so we parked up the road and then. We got a call that he was leaving and we literally just drove as he come out the gate he jumped in the car and then they came and did it actually at the bbq office down in old street and the deal yeah and the deal was i can't remember exactly but yeah they yeah that was the deal they got an exclusive interview uh the minute he got out and they paid his bail yeah that's the sure answer but that is a true story i could confirm yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: but you know i suppose yeah i suppose that that's because That was very early days. That we were still dealing with all the stuff to do with, you know, the separation from the, you know, there's so there's so much to tell on this. I'll have to read some people's books because there's there's lots of really interesting stories, uh, like to do with the business of the Libertines, business. Anyway, blah, blah blah. But yeah, that that was yeah. The Rough Trade weren't very helpful in any sense legally or anything to protect their artists at that point. We had to hustle, like you Know respect them that they managed to come up with a 50 grand sorority one time for something. Uh, not that they paid it, they you know what? They even brought they even told Peter that they bought his mum some flowers for well, Peter was in jail while well, they bought his mum some flowers on Mother's Day and um, uh, and you know, took loads of bloody kudos for it. When I got the long form. At, You know, when I took over, I went through the long-form accounting. Those fucking flowers were charged back, you know. (laughs) And that's just, there's a we could go into the long-form accounting that I received that day, but that's just one illustrative thing. Do you know what I mean? About like, oh, we bought your mum some flowers. Well, no, you didn't. I bought them and you arranged it.
2: Do you know I'm a slightly different
0: language? Do you know what I mean? I don't I mean, know it's interesting. But anyway, yeah, he did. The son, the son did pay for
1: that. Yeah. yeah. And you know, he just mentioned that you were best mates um, for you know quite a while, um, and then it kind of came to a head. When you can't think, were you given the blame for this uh, for these photos getting sold to the newspaper? He said, like he said, now he knows it wasn't you, but at the time it was kind of landed with you or something.
0: I wonder if Peter will watch this. I wonder who it was, Peter, eh? How about that? I wonder who it was. He yeah. said
1: it he, he said he thinks it was um one of his one of his drug dealers, basically. But I don't know.
0: Let's not get into it. <laughs> Peter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it was nothing to do with me. I knew nothing about it. That's right. And um, yeah, I'm, yeah. That's a slightly sore topic. It's interesting, but yeah we don't have long so you don't want another long story do you
1: no i've got got as much time as you can give mate. it's up to you
0: okay well without getting into the ins and outs of that yeah that was a very that was very tough for me that actually
2: that was a yeah that was a very that was a very tough experience in my life because um as i said i felt very loyal to pete and i was very loyal to pete and um it was
0: confusing times because, as I said, I was trying. You know, I felt like I was trying. You know, I was trying to part what I thought was good moral or behaviour, and surrounded by people who were telling me that's nonsense. And it just whatever. You know, it's um, you know. So we were growing apart. I was trying to lead him one way. His behaviour was getting more kind of extreme, and his. You know. Uh, you know less social you know less group he wasn't so interested in the group it was more about Pete and
2: you know and that's cool and um and um yeah and then I get the blame for this it's I mean I said to Kate
0: one time she's looking at the person filming her and I say well and I'm getting the blame for this and I said and I wasn't even there that night let me tell you and I say well who are you talking to right now? that is the person who filmed you you're looking at the camera three feet right of you're talking to somebody you're talking to the person who's holding the damn camera and um um and yeah i, I don't you know it doesn't make sense that i got the blame for it uh, we, uh, we anybody involved knows what happened in that scenario but um but the point was there's a guy called david kelly and he was he was a scientist who uh, worked for the government and he was accused of leaking um, the 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 weapons of mass destruction something something, and he ended up committing suicide. Some people think he was murdered. You know, let's not get in the conspiracy of it, because he couldn't he couldn't stand uh, being perceived as something so counter to how he considered his his sort of morality. And this was about you know nine months prior to this, and I and I thought at the time I remember saying, why could you care so much? What people think of you, and within a year this happened, and that is not me at all, and you know, let me tell you something right? They got paid one hundred and fifty grand for that footage. we all know it. I was offered two hundred and after I got blamed for it, the mirror offered me two hundred and forty grand to tell my story, and I still turned it down because Pete's my mate, and I don't sell my mates out, and I knew who the fuck I was, sorry to swear on your podcast but you know to say i sold you out for 150 grand that was not cool and all my friends that i put around all turned away from me everybody around him matt bates uh Adam, uh and everybody around him i put in around him, the whole mechanism and everybody um the, you know all the all the business turned the back on and it was really hard it was a very very hard time and, and i i understood um then I understood uh how painful it can be to be perceived as someone you truly don't think you are and i'm not you know I'm far from being a perfect human being. don't get me wrong but um uh, yeah rightly or wrongly I feel you know I, I I'm pretty lost it was that was a very tough and you know what someone t- I was in South Africa last year and uh, someone over there had a friend in England they and they told me they'd read the book and they said he'd sort of you know, said he knows it was nothing to do with me now. And that was fifteen years. And I do appreciate Pete kind of saying that. Although, you know, maybe we'll sit down and have a cup of tea and talk about it one day. But yeah. But yeah, I do appreciate that, because yeah, it was absolutely nothing to do with me. So that's very kind of him to say. So, you know, I years later I might be in in Milan and then I'll be talking to someone. They go, Oh, you're the guy who fucked over Pete and Kate, aren't you? And i you know, and that's you know, to be internationally known as a, like a real... And how can you work... You know, the reason I couldn't work in the music industry was not solely because of that. i had done a lot of bridge burning for whatever reason. But it's hard to get artists to trust you when that's your reputation. And, and you know, there's a lot of... reasons. You know, I'll own up to who I am as best I can. You know, we can all have a bit of delusion or sort of... Deep-rooted denial as to who we are. I right? know I can, anyway. And, um, but, boy, God forbid you accuse me of something I'm not. <laughs> I don't <laughs> say that well. And I think, and I know I've had it since I was a kid. But yeah, that is that that's a very that's a very big moment in my life. That thing and uh, that thing with that and uh, you know, and it took, it took me quite a long while to go get get past it. Do you know what I mean? But um, but yeah, anyway, sorry. That's a crazy. You're always going to get a long answer to that one.
1: No, it's <laughs> good, is it? It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting stuff. And then something we don't have to talk about it, but I did. I did see. was it right that you were? It was found that your phone was being hacked as well.
2: Yes,
0: it was. Yeah, that was Andy Coulson, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think Pete got paid out on that, and uh, I I gave a couple of once I I saw it. My yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, but. It was funny because at the time we were very suspicious something was weird was going on with our phones. Something, there was like a, something odd going on, but I don't know to why. Ex- I think the extent of it was further than just hacking into voicemails. But, but yeah, it's, you know it was funny because um, the story the, about that is I get a letter one day and I open it up and it says Operation Pine Tree. And of course, at the time, operation U tree was running
2: <laughs> <laughs> and i was like what
0: and it was a letter from the metropolitan police serious crimes and i was like and it said and it went i think it opened with don't worry you're not in trouble and then and then it went on to say we found your number in um you know so and so's um that thing and we believe your phone's been hacked, you know, please get in touch. But it was, yeah, it was like to get a to get a letter from the Metro and Police Service to Crimes with a sort of quite an unpleasant tree reference. <laughs> I didn't know I had to Google what it was because I was
2: thinking, my God, what's this? But um, yeah. But um yeah, no, that that you know um if I'm I suppose it's finished so if you're totally honest, I mean, yeah, it's an invasion of privacy, and uh,
0: and uh, and there's rules around that, and, you know, I don't want to get into the great politics of it, but it was resolved amicably from my point of view. Except for I don't think I ever got the apology that um, uh, was part of the settlement. So um,
2: I don't think that was ever published, but I might follow that up. But um, but, um, but, yeah yeah i
0: yeah maybe it, yeah i mean if i think about it uh, it might have had bad implications i mean it definitely contributed to the sort of non trustworthiness possibly if like information that i'm party to uh, ends up in papers so mm.
2: yeah
0: anyway but yeah so yeah it was hacked it was hacked yeah and there was plenty of evidence to it you know the me- the technique they use for doing it when you get all the phone logs it's very clear uh, a, a behavior is 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 um is being repeated by someone at, at, within their offices, so yeah.
1: Oh, okay, all right. And then he said it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a come down after, after all that. Like, what's been your journey since then? Like, what, yeah, what was the fallout from everything?
2: Um. Well, I suppose I touched on that. Um, uh, you know, with the stuff, you know. About you know it was tough. It was
0: tough, man. It was tough. It was, it was a bit because it was a huge ego rush, and I'm I'm you know hopefully less vulnerable to that now. But um, um, it it felt good, it, you know, doing that. And uh, uh, uh it was fun, a uh, very high.
2: Um, and I woke up one morning, totally skint with a big, um, like,
0: class A drug habit with no career left. And um, that was a wake-up that morning. And, uh, yeah, with no money in the bank. And because, um, you know, and not one year earlier than that, I thought, God, I've cracked life now. You know, I was 35, you know, I've done various things. But, that, you know, that was the peak, and I thought I'd cracked, absolutely cracked life. So, um Rightly or wrongly, but to wake up one morning and realize, you know, I may have cracked life, but now I've totally fucked it up uh, was a bit of a come down. You know, I didn't listen to music, you know, so, you know, if the truth, you know, if I'm telling the true story, I didn't, I don't think I listened to music for seven years after I just didn't believe because, and, you know, now I look at it slightly differently, but I felt hard done to at the time because of what went down over that Kate thing. But, you know, I left myself, you know, I now realize, you know, I, 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 put myself in a position for that to happen. Do you know what I mean? And like
2: my behavior, you know, uh, may have, well, no doubt catalyzed it, but, um, but I felt a
0: little bit hard down to, and I didn't believe in, I didn't believe in musicians anymore. I didn't believe like the lyrics and bullshit talk one game. You know, it's kind of naive again, but I'm like not. I've quite black or white thinking, which isn't very helpful. So I, it's only over the last couple of years I've even started really listening to. You know, I would go into places and think, oh, it's nice to have a you know an environment with music, but I didn't contextualize anything with music. I just didn't like gone off it. When you know the journey into you know that period was all about absolute absorption in you know listening to music and and. Uh, you know, buying records and uh, being into bands and going out and all that. So, and, you know, now as opposed, you know, life's very different as a, as a, you know, I've I've been an, a heroin addict and crack addict for the majority of the time since then. Uh, I became an addict. Uh, I was a drug user uh, when we did that, but that's when I first became addicted to heroin. So I spent a lot of time addicted to heroin. Now I'm totally clean now, I don't do anything. But... um Spent a lot a lot of time addicted, so chasing, some, chasing, I think, chasing that buzz that we used to have, trying to look for that buzz. And the problem is it's only getting clean. I realized that I could chase it as long as I want, but it was drugs on top of experience created the buzz. Sitting in a crack house with a load of toothless homeless people, stinking of fucking piss. It doesn't matter how much crack you smoke, you're not gonna get the buzz because it's just not as much fun. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I was, you know, uh um so yeah, no, it was a mistake, you know, a mistake chasing that buzz because it was exciting, you know, I I liken it, you know, not like I've been in the military, but I've not been SAS, but you know, this sort of depression of a special forces guy, like they can't get that buzz anymore. it was like special forces fun. Do you know what I mean? Doing that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, and charged on uh so yeah, but but I'm good these days. You know, I've 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 had another career and messed that up since then. And I promised myself one do. I've done art fabrication, um, you know, sculptural stuff for people for a, a number of years. I'd built a good little business doing that. But um, it's funny because it's like again, what did I do when uh, I got successful? And I and then I did exactly the same thing. I just advertised again. And uh, but yeah, but you know, uh, um. Uh, it's good it's good it's good to be clean. It's good to see the world differently. It's good. And um yeah, no, it's a journey, man. I mean, I, 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 trust me, I love telling stories. so um you know, could have done if could do a few hours there's some great stories. That's what I mean. I don't know what's been said, i and um uh, yeah, there's there's some great stories associated with it. It was a bit. it was a great journey. It was a lot of fun. you know, I'm, um, it's funny because it's it's like, it was like a journey. It was a great journey that I had for all the wrong reasons. That's how I look at it now. Do you know what I mean? But I'm glad to have done it. Um, um yeah. And it was a great opportunity. And I'm grateful to Peter for giving me, you know, he gave me an opportunity that I was ill-qualified for. And he gave and it was great. And and yeah, it was I was very close
2: to the guy. And um, and um, yeah, it was it was a great it was a it was a great time. And you know, um, because I haven't followed it, are there any are there classic Baby Shambles
0: songs now? I mean, there's classic Libertines, but I don't know what is, and I, I hope there's you know there's some music worth listening to there as uh, time goes by. I don't know if any Baby Shambles songs are gonna. Um, I always wanted Peter to make a song, and it was. It was funny. He was in. He was in. He was in um, and he was buying drugs in there, and I was paying for them. I know, but let's face it; they all know what's going on in there. And I was. And I. I've seen since that someone's got busted for it. But it used to, I have to pay someone on the outside, and I would pay it the amount with the room number in pence, or the there was some some somewhere <laughs> you added that it was like fifty fifty quid. 16 and P, and it somehow I remember it signified who you were paying. And I've seen them, but anyway. And I was getting these calls to pay this money. You know, it was like a hundred pound every couple of days, and I was, I started becoming suspicious that um. I don't believe you anymore. So I said, "Ask Peter what my favourite song is," and um, they came back with the right answer. And so I knew it was again. It's not a song he's ever put out. It was a song about I've been so long ago now, but it's, uh, I can't remember. It was something about it won't happen again. It was like an apology song. It was so beautiful. I can't remember. I can't believe he's never finished it. I can't remember what the first word is, but yeah. And but it was so, it's such a beautiful song because you you know you play that song and you give your girlfriend a bunch of flowers and play that song. I mean she's going to take you back at least a couple of times <laughs> <laughs> or, oh, you know, or your mum, or whatever. So it was so great. I can't remember how it went out, but at the time I could, you know, it's, it's a lot of years ago now, isn't it? It's probably, it's close to 20 years, 13, uh, sorry, close to 20 years, 18, 19 years ago. So it's a long time. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so, um, yeah, I can't remember. I, it's like, I'm a terrible, um, but, um <laughs>
2: and that's not a an electric vehicle. It's a <laughs> conversational uh, inadequacy. I don't know. What got, what a characteristic, conversational characteristic. But yeah. Um, I recently
1: yeah. bought the. Uh, I recently bought the record again off uh from the internet. So it's been good going through it. Like Foot Forever's a great, great. What's song. that? Foot Forever's obviously. Yeah,
0: Fuck Forever. Song,
1: yeah.
0: But I never hear. I see. I hear. I hear. You know don't look back into the sun a lot, but I've, I don't, I like Fuck
2: Forever. You know, that's... Um, uh, I suppose Kilimanjaro
1: yeah. is the more radio-friendly one, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it's not quite
0: so profound, though, right?
1: Nah, yeah, I do prefer. But, no, the record, I always thought the production on Kilimanjaro was great, though. Well, right, yeah, well, you know, who, you know who did that, don't you? F-worth,
2: that was, uh, was
1: it, yeah. Yeah, Epworth, and... What's Edworth going on to
2: do? He's <laughs> yeah, done, you know, and
0: what a beauty, and I will say this right now, what a lovely person, and no man deserves what they've got more than Paul Epworth, do you know what I mean? What a great guy. Because he, he, White Sport, he recorded a day, he used to work early days in 93, there used to be a club, I don't know if it's still there, 93 feet east on Brick Lane. And they used to have a little recording studio there, and he was the studio engineer there. And we did a white sports session in there, right? And Pat, I think time was running, and Pat played. It was six songs, and he did the lead guitar and played it straight through on six songs. And it's, I think that might be my greatest moment in a recording studio ever. It's absolutely magical. Him, he just did like straight through and just played it without stopping at the six, and it was, uh, you know. Uh, it, was, it was some amazing playing to watch that guy do that and yeah that was uh recorded it and um yeah a lovely guy and yeah we did come of the with him i don't yeah I don't, yeah over in somewhere in up from wood uh, wood lane isn't it somewhere like west somewhere
1: yeah because it's in the in the max Callis documentary he makes his way in to those sessions i think where the graveyard <laughs> is and all that
0: yeah, okay. Oh, I was that. That's yeah, because I was sitting there thinking, was it Kilimanjaro? It was, yeah, that's that, that session. Yeah, that's right, up the stairs. And he definitely peered in and got his camera in briefly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, was, he knew where it was. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, that's um, yeah, he's he's yeah, he's gone. He's done great. And that's that's great. Good old uh, Paul with Yeah, cool cat, man. I haven't seen him in time, but i um, lots of love to him.
1: Did you have to manage some relationships like that? Because I think in the book, Pete says, you know, he wasn't, for some reason, he didn't really click with Paul up with. Um, did you kind of have to like manage some of those relationships?
0: I don't remember being present enough to do that. It's like stick him in the room and, uh, and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Because I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't, because did Pete get on? I don't know if Pete liked anybody I ever got him. In- to record, and I don't know. Did he click with Robert Harder? That did Baby Shams? Did he? He definitely didn't click with that guy. Who was that huge producer that did you two? That we got him to do a session with um, Nelly Hooper. You know, I don't think he liked Nelly. And you know, they never paid that. I I'd see that if anybody should have the hump with anybody, Rough Trade never paid their bill at Nelly Hooper's, and he kept my um my um my Fender amp that, I, that we they'd left there it was like a two and a half grand bloody fender amp he wouldn't give me it back because he didn't pay the damn bill so um you know i ended up paying for it after i'd left and um uh he didn't like he didn't like the session but well, no it probably wasn't the right guy anyway didn't go on with paul then um i suppose mick did the yeah maybe he just like working with mick because mm-hmm. mick was you know it's funny the whole mick thing because I guess he let it be what it was more than anyone else, maybe, and just kept it loose, which probably suited Peter. But um,
2: yeah, whether it, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, kept it, kept it, kept it loose. So whether that's, whether that is the best sound to take, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, no,
0: yeah, Mick did his thing. So uh.
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) And like, yeah, what, what are you up to these days? Like how yeah, what are you up to now in London?
0: I've got a little I've got my studio still where I make make things for people. Um yeah, I'm just um I'm just uh just chilling, just enjoying just enjoying. I've got lots of little projects on the go. You don't even want to hear it, <laughs> boring, you know. I've I've so I'm trying to start a shape running community at the moment. Um it's a t-shirt I've just made. There's loads of loads of projects oh, yeah, loads of oh, things. but just just cool yeah i was in south africa last year uh you know just um haven't done work in any music based things uh probably start working with artists again shortly uh i've not been back long so um uh just just hanging out it's good yeah things are, things are good not, for me every day now i'm not on cracking heroin is a good day that's, just, that's how I'm seeing it at the moment, do you know what I mean? And having a sort of like, just like, and just enjoying life. Watering plants is a beautiful thing. I had a great experience watering plants the other day. You know, it's just like enjoying it where it, where it happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. saw <laughs> so my friend Bonnie. It's funny, I saw my friend Bonnie the the time, went to her birthday, and she was going to me, yeah, she was telling her friends that we hadn't seen each other for five years because – the last birthday party she invited me to, she said, please bring vegetarian food. And I, apparently I told a few people that I thought she was being, contro- <laughs> she was being controlling <laughs> and I, and we fell out and she was joking. I was like, well, maybe it sort of rings a bell, but so it's good to be able to not think someone's controlling because they want you to bring vegetarian <laughs> food. <laughs> so I'm, I'm enjoying stuff like that, but life's, you yeah, things are good, but yeah, it's good to chat and bring, you know, chat about, um, uh, yeah, I did because I, as I said, I hadn't, I hadn't um, listened to your podcast, or I looked to see who you'd had on. So, uh, yeah, so I didn't know uh, what what you'd be asking about. So I have
1: to read that book now. Aren't I? <laughs> yeah, he's no, he's very, he's very complimentary about it. Yeah, it's not, and it's a very candid uh, book hey. about you. Yeah. Oh
0: no, well, that's nice. Well, it's good to it's good to know because you know, um, yeah, it's great times, and it's uh, I'm glad he I'm glad, to, you know. I think in what he, he does, not, I like happy endings personally. So, you know, uh, you know, you, it's, life's going be like, mod, you know, modulate, but I, I'm into the idea of happy, I have a happy ending. So it's good, like, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good. So it's, you know, yeah. we'll pin through what we've been through. No,
1: it's similar. How to- you doing anyway? <laughs> love that, mate. It was similar, <laughs> uh, it's similar talking to part. Like it's interesting, like these people... You know, just like he's come through all as well, kind of the, the addictions and stuff, and he's kind of like just making sense of it now. But, yeah, similar to you, just enjoying the simple things, basically, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I still see, I have, I, you know, I have spoke to Adam, but I, I do. out of all those people I speak to, Pat, probably the most, okay, I right. Keep in, touch, keep, keep in touch with Patrick. You know, um, yeah, Pat's a good guy, and it's good to see he's doing all right, man. You know, it's good to see he's doing well. So uh yeah, I've got a lot of love for
2: Patrick. And um
0: yeah, as I say, yeah, I don't I I don't you know, I've I've not, not spoken to Drew. Um, I've never seen Gemma. You know, I don't speak to I did bump into Mick one time, Mick Whitnell. Uh yeah, I haven't seen, I did bump into Pete a couple of times back when Pato used to live in um um Southgate Road. Pato's not lived there for a long time. Many, many years. Science in Peter for probably eight, ten years. But um, yeah, I do keep in touch with Patrick. He's a good guy, man.
1: No, yeah, definitely. He's been he's helped us out a few times, so that has been great. Um and yeah, just got a memory of that Manchester gig for some reason. Don't know why that's just come to me. But just, do you have any memories of the one is it up, up the shambles, is it? That was filmed. It's like the proper, properly filmed gig. It was great, and it's kind of bit of an insight into i think pete just rolls off the bus and goes on stage i think you're in it as well but
0: i oh, really i'll send you a link Man, to it it's on that? youtube i think i'll watch it yeah because i because there, there was you know that's the thing it went on for probably more time after i left do you know what i mean and it was like i was at andy and someone else was doing the management and um Yes, yeah, so they did a they did a lot. They were bigger after I left than they were when I was there. Do you know what I mean? So um, definitely did more international stuff, you know, and what have you. So yeah, that's the whole side of it. I don't, you know, I don't know. So, um, hmm. but yeah, I, I, yeah, we I did. I did a two or three tours uh, with them. It was it was great. So, uh, but yeah, I don't don't remember. But there's a lot I don't remember. People come up to me and t- tell me some of the malice stuff. And um, I'm not like, sure you got the right
2: person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's good, though. I, I, in some ways, I'm glad I wasn't. Because I, I, I would have argued a couple of years ago that um, I definitely remember every moment of my life, That uh, that's clearly not the case. And um, in some ways, that's a relief. <laughs> i don't know why it's a relief but it definitely feels like a relief to uh to, to 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 have holes in things but
1: yeah um we'll finish on to your questions and just like was there a high point of that whole early 2000s and is there anything you do differently
2: <laughs> is there a high point um high points for me th- yeah, there's there's two moments that stand out as high points,
0: I think. Both associated with Baby Shambles. So yeah, no, we did a show early on at the um at the Great Eastern Hotel. I mean, this is a little bit self-indulgent, but um it is the truth. And I was and and it was reported on a baby shambles gig at the Great Eastern Hotel, and I was talking to people there. And I and I turned around and there was an orderly queue of people waiting to talk to me and I just marvelled at it and I thought you know Jesus Christ I'm the man no for someone no but you know I know that's slightly problematic you know you might you know it's a kind of thing to say but um, it's the truth and you know uh, I get yeah I guess it felt really good. And 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 another one would be the the shows at the Scala, uh, where after the first proper Baby Shambles tour, I can't remember what it was called, uh, we came back as I said earlier, we left absolute laughing stocks, and then we came back, and you know they were it was Baby Shambles was accepted by the NME, love them or hate them, uh, but they were powerful sort of indie. Form. Pop music paper, whatever you want to call it, at the time. And we, I think the Scala, I think the Scala's got a capacity of about 700. And I think we had like, we had such a huge guest list, there was about 1,100 people in it on the Saturday night. Because that's right, I fell after the tour, I was so exhausted, I fell asleep for the first night. Friday night. I didn't even turn up at the show. And then the Saturday night, um, Turn up and it was just oh it's amazing and I like, had heard that it was all good and it was just great to be back in London. Everybody wanted to be there, you know. And it was because yeah, it, you know, was it? it just you, the energy was so different. and It was just like and then we. I remember we ran out of. The, this is this was so funny. This is quite funny, right? Like, can I tell a little story, right? Oh, so yeah. I run out with Peter and we run out and we knit round the back of the skull and we end up back on Inn Road and we're running down the road and it was just was so joyous, right? And we run in a hotel, randomly in a hotel to get a room to hang out. And the woman in there goes, Oh, hi, Mr. Doherty.
2: Your room is room whatever. And I think, Oh, rough trade must have reserved it. Didn't think at the time, how could they
0: know, right? Anyway, so we go up and we're in this room, and a few people come up, and it's all debauched and all that. And like about 11 o'clock, no, I don't. Was it the next morning? No, it must have been that night, but we'd done a show, but quite late. A guy opens the door and walks in and it's like, why are you in my room? And we're like, what are you talking about? And there was a traveling salesman called Peter Doherty booked into the hotel. And the woman on the desk just saw this Peter Doherty walk in. And presumed it was him and let us into this <laughs> guy's room. And then of course, how could a rough trade know? Because we just walked in a random hotel room. But it was, yeah, it was so it was such a great night. And uh, it was absolutely magical. And um yeah, it was great. It was, it was, yeah, you know, you can't you can't but you can't buy something like it, it was an amazing experience. And um yeah, yeah, not every day can be like that, right? Yeah, but there's many. But I guess they—they would—they would be the two. Yeah, one—one one was a yeah, one was in celebration of something abstract. Well, they both have. To, I don't know, but yeah, it was that was I guess that would have to be the real high. I guess the real high at Scarlet
1: Night. It was good. And is there anything you would do differently, or not really?
0: <sighs> well, I know I should answer 100%. There should. There's loads. No, I would. I would. I would. I would do you know what I would do differently? I wouldn't have become a drug addict, and I would have uh, done done the job I was employed to do. Uh, I may have applied the similar philosophies, but I would have done it different in that sense and and, and done a better job uh, 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 overall, yeah, so
2: um yeah, there's a lot there's a lot you know, you know. I, I found myself in conflict because of the nature of the
0: way I was approaching. You know, I got in conflict with, uh, you know, various sort of figures in the music industry because it was all about the band for me. And I find that, you know, the behavior was just exploitative. And like if you're trying to break norms of behavior, people are a little bit surprised when you say, What's this bill about? Well, you know, you know, for example, I'm not I don't you know there was one industry professional who charges three hundred and thirty pounds an hour for their service, and I got them to look over a contract. and it was a standard contract, and there was no modifications. It wasn't very long, so I knew it didn't take them more than a couple of hours to look at it. And um they sent a seven and a half thousand pound bill back. and I and it was a hundred and twenty thousand pound contract for something. And I phoned them up and I said, what's this seven and a half grand bill? Um, there's no way this took you 15 hours. I oh, know, what would it be? So town no, like 20 something hours to do it. It took you a couple of hours and I want you to bill for it. And they just went to me, I'm not charging you 600, 700 quid for a 120 grand con- contract. So like, it, they just chopped off an amount that they thought they should take out of 120 grand. Which, in any other profession, you get struck off. Like, if you were a lawyer, a business lawyer, and you miss, you miss uh, counted your hours, you can be struck off for that. But that was industry practice, and the guy was absolutely shocked um, that I would even question that. And that behaviour is throughout, and I would not allow that to go. I would not allow that to fly because, you know what I mean. And so, you know. So I would get, I would have conflict. You know, the point I guess I was illustrating was that I would find myself in conflict, and as people push back, and I, I found myself. My only way of dealing with that at the time was I would, I would push back harder. You know, going head to head with life is not necessarily the way to uh, for a successful life. Do you know what I mean? And um, so yeah, and then so as I pushed back harder, I had more conflict, and I was in a world of conflict, and. I ended up just fighting everything and every shadow, and I, it caught, you know. And I was bringing negative energy to the scene. And then, obviously, when you, you, there's a tipping point where mine, the, the 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 voices of James isn't the right guy, and I'm not saying I was the right guy, but they broke the bond with Pete to some degree. And um, and you know that was of my making. So I, I would dare, I would, in that sense, I would do a lot of stuff very differently while still. Probably allowing it to be underpinned by a still loyal philosophy of supporting the band. <laughs> so that's not another long answer. But um... no, that's
1: a, that's a <laughs> finishing point to be fair, yeah.
0: Right, okay.
1: Well yeah, that's what I would have done differently. If
2: you said...